Welcome to this mini podcast series entitled Glimpses of a Possible Future, brought to you by Makespace Oxford. As part of our fifth anniversary celebrations, we connected with a handful of local projects that inspire us. Great examples of people-powered placemaking. We hope you enjoy the conversations. Now here's Glimpses of a Possible Future. Okay, we're back for the fifth and penultimate conversation of the day at Makespace Oxford and Aristotle Lane's fifth birthday. And I'm delighted to be joined by Deborah Glasswooden, who is a good friend, um, a fabulous rabble rouser. Uh, Deborah has, uh, has lived in Oxford for 30 years and has been involved in the entire range of community action and campaigning uh, activities, from being elected to councils, squatting, and most recently, human bollarding. But Deborah is also a director of Oxfordshire Community Land Trust, um, an organisation that we're a big fan of and we think offers some uh, terrific possibility for the future, a great model and a great solution. We'd love to hear a bit more about it. So Deborah, perhaps you could just explain a little bit about what Oxfordshire Community Land Trust is and in particular your personal relationship to it, how you came to be involved in it. Okay. Well, the idea of a land trust generally, and there are many across the country and across the world, is that the really important assets, uh, one of our limited assets, land, is owned by communities that need to use that land. And it can be used for work or housing or food growing or leisure, but it's owned and therefore the kind of democratic decisions around it are made by the community that use it. So, uh, Oxford Community Land Trust has recently built eight genuinely and permanently affordable homes for uh, people in need of social housing in Oxford City, one of the cities that has uh, the worst problems of a lack of genuinely affordable housings, uh, housing. Um, and that housing will be permanently affordable for the people that need it. And the decisions around ownership and rents and management are made by the community. And say, and say a bit more about that, how it's actually constituted, because that's really important, isn't it, is that there's that democratic element, so there's representations from, from different parts of the community that come together. Well, the together. community joins the land trust, and as a result of that, can join the board, which makes the decisions about which property to buy, how much of a mortgage to get, what to set, set rents at, and anyone can join for a pound, so you can't really get more democratic than that. And the residents, the, the people that have recently moved into our new housing, have all joined the land trust. So, so no, there's no kind of, there's a very different landlord-tenant uh, relationship because uh, we work far more collaboratively. And actually within, within that development, um, which is it's so wonderful to see it open its doors and welcome its first residents. You're actually in the process of setting up a, a tenant managed co-op, is that right? We are, um, and it's complicated because we're talking with people who haven't come from a background of working collaboratively and cooperatively, but uh, history shows that there will be fewer voids, there's less antisocial behaviour, there's far more neighbourhood supporting. Um, and so like the idea of co-housing, for example, which is a, an intentional community, uh, people live there because they want to live there, they get on better with their neighbourhoods, they have neighbours that will look out for them, and that generally creates uh, an environment and a community that people want to live in. Um, but another example, and the reason why I joined Oxfordshire Community Land Trust, is uh, there was a school uh, in the centre of a, of a neighbourhood that has a very strong sense of community over in East Oxford that came on the market 
Um, and there was a real concern, and at one point it was looking likely that a, a developer would parachute in, buy up this school and convert it into privately owned houses. Um, you know, they were bringing the number of units in at just under the number that they needed to have to provide any form of affordable, affordable housing. And that would have been publicly owned land. I get really agitated when I start to talk about this. Pub previously publicly owned land that was lost to the community forever because yeah. it would have been bought by a developer and sold for million pounds worth of housing that no one in the local community would have been able to afford. Yeah. Um, and by the land trust, putting in a bid for that site. Uh, we didn't win it, sadly, but we were able to get the force and the, and the power and the passion of the community in which this school existed behind us and actually change what the, what the owners of the land um, had to ask for from the people that ultimately bought it to include community space and to include a, an element of affordable housing for local teachers who, you know, are driving into Oxford every day because they can't afford to live here. So that's the other side of it, which it brings, you know, community campaigning and influence to the fore, yeah. as I say, in one of these chronic issues around yeah. affordable housing. I think that's a really interesting point that it can be used as a, as a pressure tactic, as an influencing tactic, as much as uh, it offers a very practical solution that you could adopt. And, um, and you are, in effect, a community developer. So you can partner with local people who want to not just place make, not just to transform places in their community, but to place guards, to actually retain that land or the, or the buildings that exist, as you say, in the hands of the community in perpetuity, which is really, really exciting. And it's very empowering in a world where you can often feel actually things are being done to you rather than for you. So, yeah, you know, more people just need to join and get involved. Absolutely, yeah. And of course, as you said, you're part of a much bigger movement. So I know there was a, a sort of state of the sector report from the National Community Land Trust a few years ago that talked about they'd already developed over a thousand homes across the UK and there's another 7,000 in the pipeline. I'm sure that's grown now. What's, um, what are your, your current plans on the horizon? You've just opened this new development. You're trying to develop the, the cooperative there and support the residents. But um, what, what's the kind of the, the call to action? Well, it's a very optimistic moment and I hope a pivotal moment for us because there's an issue around credibility, which now we have. Yeah. And so we're hoping this will begin to open doors. Uh, we had a big public profile, which we've not had before. So we now have, we've just had a house gifted to us, um, which is unprecedented. Wow. We're talking to the local council about some hard to use spaces that they have, which we may be able to work with them collaboratively on. So that's another really interesting thing, Andy, which is working with the powers that are already out there, whose hands are sometimes tied, or who may be slightly risk averse, or may have sites that they're not sure what to do with and we can sometimes free that up for them yeah. um, but also I had this light bulb moment and correct me if I'm wrong uh, back to the site that we've just opened a time will come when the rents of the residents will have paid off our mortgage and that presumably means we can offer extraordinarily cheap rent on a property that we own that is mortgage free just as you've done in Kindling or has been done in Dragonfly, the, the co-op houses, um, and use or keep the rents kind of medium range and use some of that money for a new mortgage for a property elsewhere. I don't know why I'd not thought of that before. So that for me is, you know, there is... Is that really peeking behind, yeah, 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 peeking behind the curtain of the, 
of the property of the property market and this fallacy that you know rents always have to stay high and well it, it gives you that incredible option you can either drop rents down and so they're just paying the the maintenance and management or you can use those rents to feed into a solidarity economy that then helps you develop your next site and you know invest in the future so yes. um, it's tremendously exciting it's so great because I know it's taken it's taken over a decade to build those first set of homes because of the, of uh, the, the lack of affordability, the structural barriers that are in place, and now you have done that. You've got that proof of concept. Hopefully we can see many, many more homes being uh, developed through OCLT and uh, many more parcels of land being brought back into community ownership. And so I'll just finish, if I may, I'm asking um, uh, every person that sits with me today, what ingredients they would offer up. You know, we're trying to create glimpses of a possible future, a future that um, supports health, well-being, community connectivity um, and so what ingredients from OCLT would you want to put into that pot and offer up? Um, I mean passion and a belief uh, backed up by the reality on the ground which shows that you can do it. Uh, I mean it's taken extraordinary dedication from a tiny number of people uh, which between you and me isn't sustainable so this isn't exactly answering your <laughs> question. Um, but I hope we inspire people that things can be done differently. I hope we're less, you know, there's this real gap I see between, you know, the decision makers, the councils, the developers, the private sector, and the community on the ground. So maybe the reality of what we've done bridges that a little bit. So we bring credibility, as I said earlier, um, to the table. Uh, we need to find a way to collaborate more with other organisations that are doing similar things. I was saying earlier, for me that's the thing that falls off the list of things to do because we're all so busy running just to uh, apply for the grants and, and go to the bank and call the meetings and make the decisions and the, and the building the network and the power that, sta that, ha that is behind working more collaboratively is kind of a missing link for me. So. I'd like to think we could do more, find a way to do more of that, maybe? Yeah, I think absolutely right, yeah. Just, it feels like the time is never on your side and it's always the hardest thing to come to. I think that's, that's a bit of the, you know, the, the subtext to why we're bringing all these conversations together around Make Space's birthday is to kind of acknowledge that we are part of a bigger movement and we're learning from each other and we're inspiring one another and we get energy from one another and uh, perhaps we need to formalize that and just do that more often but um, I'm really pleased to be able to kind of put a spotlight on OCLT today and celebrate the great work that you're doing and, um, and situate ourselves within that. So thank, thank you. No, thank it's you been great to be us. here. You're All welcome. Right. Thank you for listening to this mini podcast series entitled Glimpses of a Possible Future. We'd love to hear what you thought and so do get in touch with us via socials or share it with a friend. And if you'd like to hear more news and events from Makespace Oxford and our wider community, then get in touch via our website and sign up to our newsletter at makespaceoxford.org.